SBI show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Galarsep, and it is almost the day we've all been waiting for. The World Cup final kicks off on Sunday, and we have the final that I think most neutrals would have wanted to see or would have expected to see. You have the reigning champions, France, against the GOAT, Lionel Messi and Argentina. And I got to say, I cannot wait for the final. I will be there. Um, been, out of, been out of commission a bit the past few days, uh, a bit under the weather, but I'm better now. So if I sound a little off, now you know why. But I'm off the mat. I'm here to deliver you one episode before the final. Catch you up a bit. Obviously, the, the semifinals took place. We'll touch on those. We'll preview the final. We'll also get into the discussion of the GOAT, greatest of all time. I think at this point, most people will agree that if Argentina wins the final, the messy GOAT discussion is pretty much over. He is and will be the GOAT if he wins, Argentina wins. And some, including myself, would argue that he is already the GOAT. And I'll get into that a bit. We'll also talk about Kylian Mbappe, obviously, great player, who has a chance to win his second World Cup at the age of 23. You're talking uh, Pele, Pele level of, of accomplishment there. Uh, he has his chance to do his thing on, on, in the final, and obviously he's going to have a big part to play for France. We'll get into that matchup in the final, because the final is not just about Messi versus Mbappe. There's so many good matchups there. All over the field. We'll get into that as well. We'll talk some U.S. men's and women's national team. The The finalists have been announced for player of the year for both men, women, young men and young women as well. We'll get into those and give our early, I'll give my early picks for those, those awards. One is easier to pick than the other, I would say. Uh, I'll even have a Q&A as well. I'll answer some questions. Uh, i put a Q&A up on SBI. And uh, got a couple of questions in, not a not a boatload. I mean, I have, it's been so long since I've done the Q and A that I'm sure just pe- people just have forgotten about the Q and As. But we'll, we'll start having those back on a monthly basis, at least. I think once a month's a good move, a good a good rate to do it. So I'll uh, answer some of the questions that were, that were posted on the site, uh, and we'll touch a little. We'll close the show with a little Americans abroad. Uh, the European season. The European club season's already back in action. Uh, World Cup's not even over. Some leagues are like, listen, we got to get some games in. So let's get started. And yes, there's already games that have taken place, and you already have Americans doing their thing. And we kick things off with the World Cup final. Argentina defeating Croatia 3-0 in the semifinal to make it to the final. And Lionel Messi putting on another masterclass performance. Although you could argue Julian Alvarez was the man of the match, or should have been man of the match. Messi won man of the match. And look, how can you argue? But even he, even Messi himself said he thought Alvarez deserved it. And the young Man City striker was outstanding. Scores two goals. He drew the penalty for the first goal, which I know you could definitely argue was a very questionable, some would say terrible penalty decision. But he drew it. He scored an unbelievable second goal running, you know, almost the full length of the field off of a Croatia corner kick, if I believe. 
Uh, you know, got a few lucky bounces, a couple of Croatian defenders could have done a little better. But look, Alvarez, credit to him just to never stop. And he scores that second goal, which gave Argentina the, the cushion they needed. And then Messi closed the show with an unbelievable dribble, beating uh, beating Gavardio, the, the, the highly rated young Croatian defender. Sets up Alvarez a second goal, and Argentina is in their sixth final. Six finals. They've won two. They've lost three. They're hoping to make it a third World Cup title on Sunday. And they'll face a France team that, you know what? France had their hands full. They beat Morocco 2-0 in the semifinal. And you got to give Morocco so much credit because, you know, they made this impressive run that not a lot of people would have pegged them to make this far into the semifinals. And I know someone will say, hey, Samuel Aito had him in the semifinal. Yeah. Did you look at the rest of Samuel Aito's bracket? I mean, he was just throwing darts at the board. Let's be real here. But anyway, Morocco, unbelievable. And even with injuries taking their toll, and even with Morocco missing like three-fourths of their defense or half their defense, and then the third defender had to come out early in the match, they still took it to France. They still gave France all they could handle. But credit to the French. They took care of business. Obviously, Teo Hernandez with that early goal. And Antoine Griezmann, talk about an unbelievable performance for Griezmann. His, his second straight, he's had, a, he's had an excellent World Cup, but in the knockout rounds, he's really taken it to another level. And we all remember Griezmann uh, as part of the 2018 World Cup winning team, very much attacking player, a creator. Uh, he could you know, score his own goals. But obviously in this 2022 World Cup, he has shown himself to, to be such a two-way player now and such a workhorse in the middle. And you always wondered, heading into the World Cup, how would France cope with the loss in the absence of N'Golo Kante, who was so so important to that World Cup winning team in 2018? How do you replace Kante, who's like having two players with his work rate, his relentlessness, his, his you know tirelessness, just being all over the field? And part of the reason... Part of the way they've replaced him is with Griezmann becoming more of a two-way player. And obviously, Chouameni, the young Real Madrid midfielder, has been outstanding. He's been great. Uh, Adrian Rabio is in an excellent run of form. But Griezmann has really been the key because he has still been able to maintain his attacking contributions and his creativity, his ability to set up goals. I, I believe he has three assists. But, but he's added... The defensive side of things and his ability to press. And look, he plays at Atletico Madrid, right? So he knows a thing or two about defending. And he's been there for years. He's come back now for his second stint there. But this year, he's definitely taken on more of a defensive role with Atletico Madrid. And he's, he's really honed that part of his game. And I really think it's interesting that the man responsible for, help, for helping turn Griezmann into this two-way machine is an Argentinian, Diego Simeone, the Atletico Madrid coach, uh, former Argentina national team player, who is obviously rooting for Argentina on Sunday. But if France beats Argentina, it very, very likely will be in part because of Griezmann's evolution as a player, which you have to give some credit to that Simeone. So I just think that's interesting, just, just how the football world works, the soccer world works. I'm catching myself saying football more and more. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. You can call it football. You can call it soccer. Americans call it soccer. I call it soccer. But I don't mind calling it football. Now, what are some of the matchups that I am looking for in this World Cup final, looking forward to in this World Cup final? One matchup I'm, I'm really looking forward to is the matchup of the two young central midfielders. Chiuameni for France, 
Enzo Fernandez for Argentina. And Enzo Fernandez has been such an important part. His work rate, his uh, vision, his ability to transition from the defensive side of the midfield to the attacking third. Uh, you know, he's he's made some real big plays. He scored some important goals. And uh, I think one of the plays that kind of got that, that was overlooked in the win against Croatia, obviously you had Messi and Alvarez doing their thing. But if you remember, if you saw on the Alvarez goal, the one where he ran the entire length of the field, in the second half of that run, you see an Argentinian player just bursting through and kind of clearing a path, running past Alvarez, dragging Croatian defenders with him, forcing Croatian defenders to pay attention to him and to clear a path for Alvarez. And that player was Fernandez. And just that kind of play, that kind of selfless play, is what this Argentinian team has been all about. And for Fernandez, a young player, to just have that drive, it's just so impressive to see. And there's a reason that Lionel Messi loves Enzo Fernandez, and he can't stop raving about how good he is. And I got to tell you, I wonder what the price tag is uh, for Benfica right now, because you know there are teams lining up to make bids on Enzo Fernandez, and he will be worth every penny if and, and when, and not if, but when he is sold. And look, Chuameni, as, as you know, on the other side of that coin, Chuameni has obviously been very important for, for what France has done in terms of missing N'Golo Kante. You have Paul Pogba also missing, also missing this World Cup, and just having a player like Chuameni who can do so much work in the middle, but he can also pop up and score a goal. And we saw against England him score a stunner of a goal. So he has that talent. Obviously, Real Madrid, fully aware, when they bought him, they were getting a special player. And this World Cup has really showcased Chuameni's abilities. And it lets you know that, you know what? Real Madrid, there, there was a reason they were okay with selling Casemiro. Because they knew Chuameni was ready to step in and fill that void. And he's done that. He's, he has stepped into the Real Madrid starting lineup and he's been excellent for them. And now you've seen him do the same thing here with the French national team. So for me, Fernandez, Chouameni, that's going to be one of the big keys for this match. Another matchup to watch, two teammates, Atletico Madrid teammates, Griezmann and Rodrigo De Paul. And Rodrigo De Paul has been so important for Argentina. He's really like the heart and soul of this team. You could argue the goalkeeper, uh, Dibu Martinez, is, is the heart and soul. But DePaul, he is the enforcer. He is the he is the guy who just has that grit, that that fight, that determination in the middle. And now he goes up against Griezmann, his Atletico Madrid teammate. That's going to be a fun one to watch. You know that DePaul is really going to have that assignment. And you could say, oh, hey, Enzo Fernandez might have the assignment or... Uh, McAllister might have the assignment for Argentina, but I would say Rodrigo DePaul and Griezmann are going to see a lot of each other, and obviously they're friends, they're teammates, and that battle, I, you could argue, is probably the most important battle. And you can say, look, the most important part of this game is how do you stop Mbappe? How do you stop Messi? Can you stop those guys? That's fine. But matchups like this, where it really can swing one way or the other... This, for me, DePaul Griezmann is the one you're going to want to keep an eye on because Griezmann has been so key to France winning and DePaul has been so key to limiting what opposing teams do. And he's not doing it alone. Obviously, Fernandez, McAllister, like the midfielders that they have, uh, they, they work as a unit, right? And, and also, you give credit to, uh, to Scaloni, the, the Argentina manager, who's been willing to, 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 to try different things and use different systems 
uh, tactically, whether it's 4-3-3, 4-1-1, 5-3-2. Three, uh, he did that. He used the 5-3-2 against the Netherlands. Uh, but DePaul, no matter the setup, DePaul has been key, and he will be key once again in this one. And for me, those are the those are two of the matchups that that, that are definitely standing out for me. And obviously, Lionel Messi, how do you deal with Lionel Messi? That's going to be huge. And it's going to be interesting to see what Scaloni does in terms of Angel Di Maria. Now, Angel Di Maria has been injured, so he hasn't been starting, but he's 100% ready to go. He's a player who has stepped up in finals made big plays in finals. We know he scored the winner in the Copa America final against Brazil. How do you keep a healthy Di Maria out of the starting lineup, right? If you put Di Maria in, you play him in the right wing, you move Lionel Messi centrally, and then you move. You have Julian Alvarez play on, play on the left wing. And that that is the most likely setup if you go with Di Maria. Now, whether you go with Di, Di Maria on the right wing or you go with Messi shading to the right, either way, Teo Hernandez is going to be key for France. And Teo Hernandez isn't the best defensive back. He's much more of an attacking fullback. Although with France, with killing Mbappe, you know, preferring the left side and attacking from the left side, Taylor Hernandez has kind of had to rein in his def- his attacking uh, his attacking forays, right? Even though he scored against Croatia, and he he, he got in there and he scored that. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, not Croatia. He scored against Morocco. He scored the opening goal against Morocco, uh, which was so big, but. He is going to have his hands full because it's either Di Maria, a healthy Di Maria who's big in finals, or it's Messi. So it's like pick your poison, right? Which it's uh, you know either way, it's going to be a tough day for the Milan left back. But you know what? He's had a very good tournament, and uh, I think he has the ability to step up. And if he does step up, that's a big notch in France's favor in as far as their chances to repeat as World Cup winners. And obviously, on the other side, you have Kylian Mbappe. On, on the French left wing, him going up against uh, Nahuel Molina, who is, you know, if you want to argue what's the kind of weak link in in uh, in the Argentina defense, right? And it's it, that might seem a little unfair because, obviously, look, he scored the goal against the Dutch, that, that you know, that beautiful Lionel Messi no-look nutmeg pass assist that he had in Molina with the excellent run. But Molina's not the best defender. So to have to deal with... A, uh, a killing Mbappe. That that's that's a that's a tall order. That's a tall order. So that that if you're France, you, I mean, no matter who you play, you you, you know, even if you're playing against Morocco and, and Hakimi, you want to get the ball to to Mbappe. But against this Argentina team, Mbappe could absolutely have some success. Now, having said that, he doesn't play much defense. He is very much a one way player. Just like you can argue Messi's one way player. The difference here is. Where Mbappe likes to go, he leaves a lot of room behind him. Messi can slip in there, do his thing, or Di Maria can do his thing as well. So that that's a, if if I'm Deschamps, obviously you want Mbappe and his attacking brilliance, right? You want that. But if there's a game you want to have a talk with Mbappe and tell him, hey, you know, I know you have the engine to to help a little more defensively, maybe help a little more defensively. We'll see if that happens. We'll see if Mbappe rises to that occasion because that's the kind of thing you're going to need across the board for France to repeat. Because, look, this is a toss-up. This can go either way. Both teams are very good teams. But if you're France and you want to secure this repeat, you're going to need everyone being a two-way player on the day. Now, what's my prediction for the final? Obviously, I mean, if you read SBI and you saw the predictions on SBI, you know before the tournament, I picked Argentina to win. I actually had Argentina-France as the final 
and I picked Argentina to win. Actually, I think I had Lautaro Martinez scoring the winner. Obviously, Lautaro Martinez is injured. He's got a bit of an ankle thing, which opened the door for Julian Alvarez, and now Alvarez is, is the man. He is the starting striker. Uh, I still have to go with Argentina. Just They just feel like a team of destiny, and I just feel like their hunger and desire to finally win win a World Cup for Messi is just something that the French can't du- can't duplicate. France just won the World Cup, and I know some of these French players were not part of that team. Some of these French players are eager to win their first World Cup. But when you're talking about a collective desire of not only a team, but of an entire country, I mean, Argentina is desperate to win this World Cup. I mean, it's it's... It's an emotion that you just feel in the stadium with every game, every Argentina game that I've been to. You just sense it like their fans are so hungry to experience winning the World Cup. And it's been what has it been? 1986 was the last time they won it. We're talking 36 years. Uh, You know, (laughs) none of these players were alive uh, on this Argentine team the last time. Argentina lifted the World Cup. So, like, they really want it. And I just feel like that is what's going to fuel Argentina to the final. Of course, look, the French, they're, they're a great team. They have a team of uh, they got they have a team of killers who can just beat you uh, and have that talent. And killing Mbappe is, is if he, I don't think it's, I don't think he's going to take it easy because he's already won one. I think he's going to go for it, just like Griezmann is going to go for it, just like Giroud is going to go for it. So, this is going to be a great final. This this is going to be an absolutely epic final, but I will go Argentina. I think I'll say 2-1 Argentina, and it would just be fitting for Messi to deliver the winner and lift that World Cup. Now, one of the conversations that seems to be just taking place more and more as we head to the World Cup final is Lionel Messi and whether or not he is the GOAT or will he or he will he be the GOAT, the greatest of all time. If he wins this World Cup, if Argentina wins this World Cup. And I've definitely thought about it a lot. And obviously, look, people know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Messi fan. I mean, I just, how do you not, how can you not be a fan of, of just the brilliance that he's brought to the game for so long? But when you really, really look at it and you really, really crunch the numbers and you really look at the, the accolades and you look at the players who've always been in the conversation, when you talk about Pele, Diego Maradona, uh, some some would still throw Cristiano Ronaldo in the conversation, but for the most part, it's Pele and Maradona. It had been those two forever until Messi came along and started to build his own legacy and really start to challenge Pele and Maradona, the undisputed up until now, like co goats, right? The, the the two players who you could you could go either way, right? You could toss a coin. Some people would say Pele, some people would say Maradona, and. You know, for me, if if Messi wins, if Argentina wins this World Cup, it's a wrap. Messi's the greatest of all time. I would argue, even if he doesn't win, and I know, I know, you, you you can definitely say, look, he needs to win for his legacy. He needs to lift the World Cup one time at least, right? I hear that. I hear that argument, and I and I would say, if he does do that, then it's then there is no disputing. But I would argue he already has a very, very good case now for being the greatest of all time. And and I and I hate to even kind of put it in the frame it in the context of, of, of trying to downplay or poke holes into the legacies of the greatest players to ever play this game. Right. Because, you know, that for me, it, it, it might. It might just sound crazy. It sound like crazy talk if you're trying to, like, chip at Pele's legacy or chip at Maradona's legacy. But I just for me. I think it's about context. And I think some people for so long just know the names. 
they know the names. They know and they know the major titles. They know the World Cups. They they know the Maradona amazing uh, plays that he made in '86 to help them win the World Cup and how he was. You know, some people remember it as him being this one man band to lift because he was so unbelievably dominant that he lifted Argentina to the World Cup in '86. I get that, but it it does help to put it in a little context and. and for me, this is how I'd, I'd frame it, right? When you kind of look back, right, at these players. Now, Pele, legendary player. Thank heavens he's, he's he's doing better now. I know there were some fears earlier in the tournament about his health and that, you know, is he is he on his, is he, you know, is he close to leaving us? Uh, but no, he's, he's, he's doing okay now. He's doing better. Uh, when you look at his legacy, right, obviously three World Cups is just an amazing amazing accomplishment and he and he had a major part in all three world cups so right there boom that is an outstanding just foundation for for a legacy because no one can match that right now having said that a player's legacy is not just about the world cups a player's legacy is about about their entire career the level that they played at the titles that they won now with with pele when you want to talk about pele two big strikes against him well, really, one big strike against them, and that one big strike is that he never played in Europe. He was comfortable in Brazil. He played for Santos, legendary Santos team, best team in South America. He just never chose to leave until later in his career, when he, you know, he, he had a chance to make some some big money. He goes to to the NASL and plays in the United States. But in his prime, when he was winning World Cups, and when he was receiving offers from big teams in Europe, including Real Madrid, he never accepted it because he was comfortable in Brazil. He was making a good living. He enjoyed his life. And it's funny because you read some of the things he says or, or you go back and you and you do your homework into, into Pelé's decision to stay in, in Brazil. It's funny because he says a lot of the things that people in the U.S. would criticize an American player for, right? Like I still remember with Jordan Morris and all the all the the hubbub about him bypassing the chance to go to Europe, being comfortable in Seattle. He had his life there. He's got his dog. I remember the whole Jermaine Jones making fun of him and not wanting to leave Seattle because he had a dog and like that that whole thing. Well, Pele was pretty like you know he he said some things too. He's like, hey, you know, I, you know, I like my mom's cooking. I don't, why do I? Why would I leave Brazil? I can just chill on the beach and like, why would I leave that amazing life? And it's like, you know what? Don't begrudge the guy. He lo- he had, he he's led an amazing life. So so more power to you for having the freedom to do that, right? But having said that, you have chosen to miss out on the chance to build on your legacy. Uh, to build on your your status in terms of all time and history, and when you're a player, you're not you necessarily thinking about that stuff. You're thinking about you're in the moment. You're in like how you're living now. You're not necessarily making decisions because of your legacy. I mean, maybe some players do that now. But clearly, Pele did not do that. But because of that, he never went and played in the top leagues in the world. And I know some people will say, "Hey, Santos was great. Brazil, you don't know how good a level Brazil was." I'm sure you can always find someone to play devil's advocate. But I think it's generally accepted even then, even in the 60s and even in the 70s, it was generally accepted that the top leagues in the world were in Europe. The top competitions were in Europe. Pele never did it. He never went there. He never played in those competitions. So he didn't get a chance to show what he could really do. Playing week in and week out. And playing in the grind of playing in the highest level. 
and 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 everything that goes into that, right? He took a he took a more comfortable route, and you know what? More power to him. But for me, when you weigh that against the legacies of some of these other players, he loses points for that. He loses points for that. He has to lose points for that. Lionel Messi has played at the highest level for you know two decades now, and has won at the highest level multiple league titles, multiple Champions League titles. He has succeeded at the highest level of club soccer for a long time. And that works in his favor when you want to talk about the argument for greatest of all time. Now, the other strike against Pelé, which is, I, I, I don't even like to, to like blame it on him because it's not his fault, is Brazil never actually won. And this is crazy because I did not know this until I started doing some, re, you know, do a little digging. I, did, I didn't even realize it at the time. Brazil never won Copa America. And the reason they never won Copa America was because back in that time, uh, Brazil didn't take it as seriously because, you know, they they would send younger teams. They wouldn't send their full strength squad. Maybe they just figured, you know what? Hey, we're winning the World Cup every four years. Why do we need to prove we're the best team in South America? We'll send kids like, you know, we'll let our Santos players go do barnstorming tours and, and, and make money. And you guys can have your Copa America, right? Fine. Brazil. You chose to do that. But once again, that cuts into a player's legacy. And the continental titles matter. They mean a lot. Winning the Euros matters. Winning uh, Copa America matters. Uh, you know, uh, U.S. fans will argue that winning the Gold Cup doesn't really matter because it's every two years. And you know what? There's a point. There's a case for that. But Pele not winning Copa America, I think, at least a little bit, Hurts his case, where you have Messi, who has led it. Let he led Argentina to three finals himself. They lost two, and then they finally won one. They beat Brazil last year in the Maracana. That that's just, you know great part of that song, that Argentina song that we hear all the time in, in Qatar. Now you got to give Messi credit for that. You got to give Messi credit for leading Argentina to three finals. I think I'm pretty sure he's played. In, he might have been a part of another one, but definitely the last three in the in the recent Copa Americas, he's led them to three finals, and they lost in heartbreaking fashion. Obviously, the two previous times we we all remember 2016 in the United States, losing in a penalty shootout, and Messi being fed up and retiring and briefly retiring from the Argentinian national team. Think about that. Messi at one point retired, was ready to quit. He just was fed up with all the BS. He was just so heartbroken. So heartbroken about not helping Argentina win a title, he was ready to call it a day. 2016. Six years later, he has the Copa America that they won last year, and now he has a chance to lift the World Cup. So for me, when you want to talk about Pele versus Mar- Pele versus Messi, right? You have to give Pele his credit for his World Cups. And not just winning them, but you know his performances in those World Cups. Because he did have a big part to play. Although, when you go back and you look at some of these World Cups, look, as a teenager, for him to score, what, five goals in the last two games, including the final, I mean, that's just unbelievable. 1958, right? 1962, he he had a bit less of a part in terms of the number of goals he scored versus other players. And then in 1970, you're talking about maybe the best team of all time, the 1970 Brazil team. Just completely unbelievable. Unbelievable team. Uh, you know, he scored one goal in knockout rounds. I think there were like eight Brazilians who scored goals in the knockout rounds that year, that World Cup, just to show you the overall quality of that Brazil team. And that's the thing about using the World Cup titles as the measuring stick for GOAT status and for all-time great status, because it's so much harder 
in in soccer for a pl- one player to like carry a team to a World Cup. That that rarely happens. Rarely happens. A lot of times you need greatness. You need greatness around you. You need a couple of great, great, all-time great players. And those Brazil teams had amazing players. I mean, the 58 team, the 62 team, the, the 70 team, I mean, whether it's Carlos Alberto, Vava, uh, DG, like, uh, who, I'm, who am I forgetting? I'm just, you can name Garincha. Like, I mean, come on. Like, they, it's like a who's who, a Hall of Fame of the game that played in those Brazil World Cup teams. So it was not by any means just Pelé. And Pelé was still amazing. He was the best player. So you give him his credit. He definitely has a case for GOAT status. But I just wanted to lay out some of the knocks against him. And it's not about being against Pelé, but it's kind of just to give Pelé his, uh, give Messi his flowers for the things that he did do in terms of competing at the highest level, winning multiple Champions League titles when will winning multiple La Liga titles. So for me that's why I think if he wins this World Cup, it's a wrap. Messi's the guy. Now you can talk about Maradona and Maradona I would I would say I feel even more strongly now that the Mar- that Maradona wins over Pele in that debate. And I know some people will call me crazy, but I think when you look at what he did in his career, I think he I think I think Maradona beats Pele just from the standpoints of his 1986 World Cup performance, leading that Argentina team to the World Cup trumps anything Pele did in terms of the Pele World Cups. And Pele had some great World Cups, no question, but he's not touching that 86 World Cup by Maradona. He's not. He's just not. But then also Maradona had success on the club level playing in Europe. He played at Barcelona. He played at Napoli. He helped Napoli win two Serie A titles. Which, for that club, considering the size of the club, and considering him helping let them win two titles in Serie A at a time when Serie A was the powerhouse league. It was the league. Like, you really got to tip your cap. And no, they didn't win the Champions League. They did win the UEFA Cup, which, you know, at the time was a pretty prestigious uh, tournament. But for me, Maradona gets the slight edge on Pele because I just think his greatest was man like Maradona at his peak and I know you can always argue well who you know how are you really watching Pele's games in full in his peak you can't it's so tough to compare I get it I get it I mean this is such a the whole goat debate is such a fantasy right it's such a fantasy I get it but when you really try to break it down pragmatically you can definitely go down such a rabbit hole I get that I get that but this whole long-winded thing is is basically... I, the point of this is you really need to give Messi his credit when you consider his club success. Dominance. Club dominance. And no, it wasn't just, oh, he was on a great Barcelona team. He played with Xavi and Iniesta. Ask those guys about who was the key. He was the key of those teams. So every single player on that team, on those teams, will tell you that. So you take his club success, and then you take what he's been able to do for a long time now with Argentina, really leading this team, multiple finals. Uh, This is now the second World Cup final. You're talking at least three Copa America finals. He has the one Copa America title. Now he has a chance for this World Cup title. And if they win this World Cup, he is, I'm sorry, folks, but he is, for me, the greatest of all time. 
Now, obviously, you have another player who's going to be trying to add to his legacy, and that's killing Mbappe. And he's already won a World Cup, had a big part to play in it, was a young player of the tournament in 2018. Now he has a chance to win his second World Cup by the age of 23. And that's nothing to sneeze at. And he is in contention for Golden Boot and in contention for Golden Ball. He's been great. Do I think this puts him in the conversation? No, not yet. But it definitely sets him up well. If he wins this World Cup, if France wins this World Cup, Mbappe has really p- positioned himself to have the kind of career that 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 blows away these others. Or not blows away, but makes him the undisputed GOAT. But he still has a lot of work to do. He still, first of all, he needs to play outside of the French League. No offense to the French League. French League, very good league, but it's not, it's not a top four league. It's a top five league. It's the fifth best. You can argue it's the fifth best league. It's a good league. He needs to leave to take that next step. And I think most people expect him eventually to go to Real Madrid. And hopefully he goes somewhere. Whether it's Real Madrid, whether it's Liverpool, whether wherever he goes, he needs to go to a top league. And look, I get it. He just signed a new contract. PSG has just, you know, rolled up the the, the you know the Brinks truck with uh with the mountain of cash to sign him to a new deal. But we know those things. That doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if a player wants to leave, they will leave. And they, Real Madrid will pay whatever it requires. And then he'll go to play in Real Madrid, which has always felt like it's going to happen. Until it does, and until he's played full seasons in the highest level and started to win titles in the in, in the top leagues, and until he adds a Champions League or two or three, until he starts doing those things, you really can't have him in a good conversation, even with these World Cups. The World Cups are... They would be impressive. If he wins a second, yeah, Mbappe's pushing himself into the conversation pretty quickly. But he still has some work to do. For me, he still has a lot of work to do. So the World Cup kicks off on Sunday at Lucille Stadium. And uh, I got to tell you, I can't wait. It will be my fifth World Cup final. Uh, and I got to say, I feel, I, I don't think, I, I don't know if I've ever felt as excited for a final as I feel for this one. And. Probably the 2002 final, just because it was going to be my first, and you know Brazil Germany was a was a you know just a great matchup. Even though Brazil was the favorite going into that, the 06 final uh, France Italy that that was a that was definitely a case of a, a great player carrying a team to a final. Uh, Zidane Italy ends up winning. Good final. Obviously, you had the headbutt, the, the Matarazzi Zidane headbutt, which was just still crazy to think about. Uh, 2010 was amazing. Obviously, Spain with Iniesta and the winner beating the Netherlands. I wouldn't. I don't know. Like it, it was a dramatic final. Spain was a great team, but the Netherlands they weren't. I wouldn't say the Netherlands was a great team. So that final didn't have. You can't really compare that final to this final. And then Germany, Germany, Argentina. That Argentina team just wasn't that great. That Argentina team. Messi carried that Argentina team to the final. That that for me. I mean, you could argue that was uh, in, almost an even more impressive. Act a more impressive accomplishment by Messi to keep, take that team. Go look at the starting lineup for that Argentina team, and that compared to the current team, this current te- this current Argentina team is miles better for me. Miles better in terms of balance, in terms of quality all over the field, and uh, but people forget about it. People just remember, you know what? They lost in the final. Germany won. Uh, Iguain doesn't finish the chance that Messi served on a platter, but it's easy to forget Messi carried that team to the final, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. So, 
We'll see what happens in this final. I like Argentina. They're just playing with so much heart and so much togetherness. And and I got to say, Scaloni, the, the Argentina manager, give the guy some credit, right? We're talking a young and inexperienced manager. But the man has courage. The man is not afraid to take chances. The man is not afraid to try different things. He's not afraid to fail. And he's got so much riding on it. You see the emotion. Like, you see more emotion from him. And even though it's funny because they'll show big plays, right? They'll show, like, goals, and he's, like, stone-faced, right? He doesn't even react sometimes. But then other times you see him react. And at the end of games, you see him react. At the end of games, you see him let it out. Like, he knows. He tries to keep it in, tries to keep it together. Final whistle blows, he lets it go. And you love that. You love seeing the passion. I think he's got the makings of a great, he could be a great manager. He's already showing the signs of potentially being a great manager. So moving on from World Cup Convo, it's time to talk U.S. men's and women's national team. The finalists for the U.S. Soccer Player of the Year awards were announced this week. And the final five for the men are Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson, and Matt Turner. And just to lay it out for you right off the bat, the criteria for this award, as far as my understanding is, performances with the national team, that's your... That's the biggest factor in in this award. Your performances with the national team and obviously your club performances are a factor, but it's not a 50-50 deal. It's not a half national team performances, half club team performances. It's not that. It's much more national team performances with a, you know, as, you know, there's not a specific percentage on what the club factor is, but it's definitely less. Now, when you when you take those things into account, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty hard to argue with Tyler Adams being the pick. I think Tyler Adams is the is the is the choice this year. And I mean, you can. I mean, you could also make a case for Tim Ream. You could you could make a very good case for Tim Ream being second. And I know some people think that's crazy. Christian Pulisic had a good World Cup, but on the club side, it's been a bit of an up and down season for him. Right? His performance at the World Cup was good, no question. He had a hand in all three goals. Um, Tim Ream, though. I mean, Tim Ream had an unbelievable World Cup. Like, for me, Tyler Adams is the pick, just to be clear. Tyler Adams, for me, when you talk about who was the best American player at the World Cup, Tyler Adams, no question. No question about it for me. He was the best player at the World Cup. Then you throw in what he's been able to do at Leeds since he's made the move to the Premier League, and it's it's, it's a wrap. He is the pick. Um, and in Ream, you can argue, excellent World Cup, helped Fulham gain promotion to the Premier League, and now has helped Fulham be a top 10 club. Like, they're currently in the top half of the table in the Premier League. Who would have saw that coming? So Ream, you could argue, could could almost have a, a stronger ca- case than Pulisic. Pulisic's going to be second. I'd like to think Adams is going to win. He should win. Pulisic will be voted second. After that, it's a bit of a toss-up. I think Reem should be third. He won't be third. It'll probably be Matt Turner. Matt Turner, and look, Matt Turner's done very well with the national team. He was he had a solid World Cup, no question. But for me, I think Tim Reem should get more consideration than he probably is getting. In terms of the women's national team, the five finalists for the women's player of the year are Lindsay Horan, Alex Morgan, Mal Pugh, Sophia Smith, and Rose Lavelle. Solid five. It's a, it, it's, it's a two-player race. In this one, you got Alex Morgan and you got Sophia Smith. And it, it it's a tough one. It's a tough one. But 
when you talk about the criteria, as I mentioned, and, and it's part, and part of the reason I, I mean, I was going to mention criteria anyway, but I knew when I, when I included the criteria that it might make some people cons- at least think about it a little differently because if, if it was an even split, right, if it was 50-50 club and national team, you can make a stronger argument for, for Sophia Smith because, you know, she, win, they, she wins NWSL title, she's the MVP, unbelievable club season, and a very good W championship, right? Because at the end of the day, the CONCACAF W championship is the competition that mattered the most in 2022. That being said, Alex Morgan was the key driving force in the women's championship, in the W championship, in the U.S. women winning the W championship, and she won the Golden Boot in the NWSL. So you take those two things together. For me, Alex Morgan edges Sophia Smith. But it's close. It's close. You can't go wrong. It's not like it's not like if Sophia Smith wins, you, people can be like, this is a travesty. This is an outrage. Maybe someone will say that. Not many. No one, no one credible should be that outraged if Sophia Smith wins. But for me, give it to Alex Morgan. She was the key player in the W Championship, and she had an outstanding season. She had a career high in goals for a season for a club, which pretty impressive when you think about her career. So for me, I, the edge, slight edge, slight edge, Alex Morgan wins the award. Well, she gets my vote. Some people might disagree, but she gets my vote. Now, staying on the women's uh, soccer front, uh, just one thing I wanted to note that I thought was just ridiculous is uh, FIFA has rejected, at least for now, the request to have 26 player rosters for the Women's World Cup this summer, next summer. And, I mean, what is going on, FIFA? You can always count on FIFA to make a dumb decision. And it, there's just, it, there is, it's an indefensible stance to ha- to not allow 26 players in the Women's World Cup. When you currently have 26 players in the Men's World Cup, and we have had, in terms of on the field, we've had a pretty damn good World Cup. The substitutions, the ability to have more substitutions has been great. Teams have, have, have taken advantage of that and have used that. And it, and, and obviously with the congested schedule, it's, it's, it's been needed. It's been necessary. How can you have, how can you have that? In this men's tournament and not in the women's tournament, there is no defense of it. There's no logical defense of it. And hopefully FIFA comes to its senses and realizes the error in its ways. And we still have time between now and then. And I think hopefully more sensible heads prevail in this because there's zero, zero, zero excuse for there not to be 26 player rosters at the Women's World Cup. So hopefully they, they fix that. Now, we have a couple of questions to, uh, to, to answer in this episode of SBI Show, a little Q&A uh, section of the show. Uh, I put up a Q&A post on SBI. We've gotten a couple of questions, so I'll, I'll, I'll answer some of them on, on here. Uh, the first one asks about Josh Sargent. What are your thoughts on Josh Sargent's prospects for developing into the solution for our number nine problem? It seems like he has all the tools, speed, height, creativity, especially great hold-up play, as he showed until he got injured versus Iran. Can he suddenly become a fantastic finisher as well, or would we have seen that by now if he had it? Uh, good question uh, But my guy, Left Coast Metro. Now, look, Josh Sargent, I think, is a good player, right? 
Now, he has shown himself to be a streaky player in terms of, you know, he can really get into some slumps. Uh, he's a big confidence player. He's someone who, when he's on, he is on. He can finish. He can finish well. He can finish confidently. But when he's off, when his confidence is not where it needs to be, he he's just invisible. He Or he just doesn't. He's just really ineffective. And the key for him is to find that consistency where he eliminates those droughts where he eliminates those just periods where he is just invisible or, or those periods where he's just not finding the net. And now, obviously, he's been in situations also where he's been on some bad teams. And when Norwood City was in the Premier League, Premier League, they, they were, it was a bad team. It was a bad team. And it's not always, you know, it's easy not to like kind of deflect and not, not give Sargent any of the, of the blame there. He also was played out of position. He played, he was played on the wing a bit, a fair bit. But I think he, I agree in that I think he has all the tools to be the starting striker going forward. I think there are, having said that, I think there are a lot of good striker options for the U.S. national team in this next cycle. Ricardo Pepe's still in the picture. At his age, with his tools, he's someone who can, I think, could, I think for me, I think you could argue he has a higher ceiling. I think Sargent is a more well-rounded player. I would bet on Sargent being on the team in 26. Is he the go-to number one striker in 26? So much can happen between now and then. And look, there are other players as well. Let's not forget Daryl DK. Daryl DK, who's had an injury ravaged 2022, but I think he's got some tools. Jordan P. Fox probably he'll be a bit older by then. Uh, is he still going to be in the picture? Maybe, maybe not. You have Folaren Balligan, who is eligible for the U.S. and could play for the U.S. And someone asked a question about him, actually, that I'll get to in a bit. So, so there's some interesting options there. There's some interesting options there. Um, at the striker position. But could could I see Sargent developing into the answer? Yes. But consistency is key. If he finds consistency and he can just like get that that rhythm where he is at that level consistently, he can be a Premier League striker. And if he's a Premier League striker who's producing and scoring goals, that is your starter for the national team. So I think he can be that player, but he has to find the consistency first. So we have another question from Kuazel. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it's about, it's about Fuller and Balogun. And it's a pretty long-winded question. But basically the, the gist of the question is, am I overestimating Balogun to think he's more talented and athletic than Josh Sargent and would likely be our top number nine in short order? Uh, Balogun is playing great, right? Balogun is, is having a, a good run of success in Europe. Uh, it's early in his career, and you know, obviously, people were aware of him from from his time being a, an, an Arsenal prospect. And obviously, he goes yeah, he goes on loan to Middlesbrough, doesn't do much, but then goes on loan and he's playing in Liga. He's playing for Ram, uh, but he's he's doing well. He's scoring some goals. I would say it's a little early. It w- it's a little early to start anointing him. He's you can't miss number nine. He's got talent. He's a dynamic player. That's the, the the first thing you should definitely say about Balogun. But again, it's early. He doesn't have to make a decision now. And he's 21 years old. He can play for England. He can play for the United States. He's very much, in terms of the mold of the position, yes. Can he play the striker role in the 4-3-3? Yes. He can also play on the left as well. He can play shaded on the left side. Obviously, Pulisic prefers to play on the left side. He's your go-to guy on that side of the field. But Balogun has the, has some special talent. No question about it. So in terms of upside, yes. Could he grow into uh, an impact player that can be a starter for the U.S.? 
Yes. But again, he has to choose the U.S. And it's kind of early still. Like, it, I mean, it, based on reports that you hear, the U.S. is in the mix. And I'm sure when, when Balogun talks to a Yunus Musa, when he looks at what just happened with uh, Anthony Robinson, Cameron Carter-Vickers, those guys and Musa all played in the World Cup for the U.S. Uh, and Musa obviously had a great World Cup. Robinson had a good World Cup. Obviously, the Dutch came to soured his overall body of work in the World Cup. But I still think he did well before that. Uh, so if you're Balogun and you look at that and you look at the yeah, possibilities and you look at what's going on with England and, you know, I mean, is it going to be as cold? Is it, is it going to be as cold and calculated a decision as where can I play more? That's where I'm going to go. Possibly. If he chooses the U.S., I don't think he just walks in and takes the job. It's not an automatic, but I think he has the upside to end up with the starter. But I also don't think you should just discount everyone else's chances and just assume he's better. And that's the thing. It's like, yes, he's doing well. He's showing some really good things in France. Uh, but again, it's because, oh, he was at Arsenal. He's a highly rated prospect. He was in the England youth setup. He has to be great. He has to be amazing. He has to be better than the U.S. players that are in the pool. I think that's a little early in the game. I think he has talent. He has big upside. First, he has to make the decision to play for the U.S. Secondly, he has to continue to develop. And for me, it's not a lock that he would be the starter. But he has the talent to be the starter. And it's great to have more options. So it would be great if he plays for the U.S. But no, I don't think he just walks in and takes the number nine spot. I don't think that. At least not yet. And uh, I think that's it for the for the questions. Uh, I'll, I'll look to have another Q&A in a couple of weeks. And we'll make it a part of the the episode of the SBI show that takes place around that time, uh, look out for another Q&A in early January. Um, I'll make more of an announcement so we can get some more questions. Uh, that's on me. I, uh, like I said, I was a bit under the weather, uh, and uh, it, it kind of wiped me out for a couple of days, but I'm back, and uh, I hope hope a, hope a couple of questions uh, little get, whet the appetite there, and, and we can get more questions uh, for the next Q&A. Uh, but I think that wraps up for this episode. I've definitely rambled on more than I had planned to. Apologies for anyone who just fell asleep listening to my GOAT debate, my GOAT discussion, or hopefully it provided some insight for you uh, and, and some perspective as well. And uh, I was going to get into the Americans abroad front. Malik Tillman, Malik, Malik Tillman, two assists in a 3-2 Rangers comeback win. And i tell you what, Malik Tillman's a player who... Has the talent. You want to talk about 2026 and who can be on that team in 2026? I think Malik Tillman will be on the team in 2026. I thought he could be on the team now. Um, and that's an interesting one, right? Because if he had been on this team, would he be, would he have gotten the chance to, to shine? And I wonder if Greg Berhalter knew then what he know, knows now when in terms of the OG Arena situation, would he have brought Malik Tillman? Because then Malik Tillman could have been someone he could have used off the bench. And I know some people say, wait a minute, what? Like, why, you know, but I mean, ask yourself, would you rather have Tillman? Would you rather have Jordan Morris? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. So that, that Malik Tillman is a special, special talent. And he's still young. He's still raw. But he, you want to talk about impact, potential impact players? He's one that I think over the next couple of years is going to just skyrocket. He's doing well right now at Rangers. I think he takes that next step, top four league next year. You know, can he get in and break in at Bayern? I mean, Bayern really rates him highly, so that that's still something to consider. But I think Tillman has a bright future. And I think you want to ask me someone who could be a starter in 2026 or someone who could be just take their game to another level in the next four years, Malik Tillman 
is one of those players. So definitely keep an eye out for that. And I think that that wraps it up for this episode of the SBI show. I will have one more episode from Qatar. I'm in the case of those of you who forgot. Yes, I am in Qatar. I am here for the. I will be here for the final. I am attending the final. I will bring my microphone to Lucille Stadium. I will record one more episode of the SBI show right after the final, talking about the final and, and, and touching on whatever else uh, I can get into. Because obviously, the next day I will be traveling. Uh, back to the states, and uh, and then I'm planning to take a break. I'm planning to take a break from from the show, uh, at least for what me. It could be for the rest of the year. Um, I, I think I, you know what I'll probably have at least one more episode before the end of the year. We'll see how that goes. But definitely my last episode before I leave Qatar will be a post game show from the stadium, so I can pack up my the, my rest of my my <laughs> my podcast setup here in in my apartment. Um, but uh, stay tuned for that. Look out for that as well. I hope this episode uh, gets you ready for the final. Uh, it's a, it should be a good one. I think it's going to be a final for the ages. And I don't mind saying I hope it's Argentina. I hope I get to see Messi lift the trophy because he has been such an amazing player in his career. And it would just be fitting if he leads Argentina to that World Cup. But that's all for now. I'm Ivan Scalarsa. This is the SBI Show. <laughs>